Our reading this morning comes from Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. And if you have a church Bible, it's on page 1175. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up up in love, as each part does its work. Let's pray as we come to to the Lord's word together. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand what you have to say to us this morning in your word. And we pray that you would change our wills to make them obedient to what you have to say to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a fan of The Apprentice, you'll know that the latest series is coming to an end. If you don't follow The Apprentice, it's a TV programme about um, uh, Alan Sugar, Lord Sugar, uh, going through a rigorous process of choosing a business partner from a bunch of ambitious and uh, often quite arrogant young people who are all determined to win at all costs and uh, who often come crashing down to the ground. And the funny thing about the programme, if you do watch, is that they're given tasks to do in teams. They have to perform these tasks. But although they're working together, they're really working for themselves. And uh, if you're in a team that loses, you have to give an account in the boardroom of why you lost. There's lots of finger-pointing going on, mud-slinging, and uh, making sure it wasn't you who was the one that caused your team to fail. They're working in teams, but they're not working for one another. They don't have the interests of one another at heart. Now, the beauty of the church is that we do, or we should have, the interests of one another at heart. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for one another. And the image of the body that is mentioned in this passage is a very powerful one because it conveys just how important the health of each part is to the whole body. Now, since we've been out of the building, we've been doing a sermon series on change. Uh, And the emphasis so far has been on individual change. How can we each become more like Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know how helpful that has been for you. Uh, You may feel that it actually has helped you see an area of your life that you need to change. And with God's grace, you are praying that you can get on with that. Now, you may feel actually you don't really really need to change. You're quite happy with where you are. 
which would actually be quite sad because uh, there is always scope for us to grow in Christ-likeness in this life. Or you may feel, actually, I know I need to change, but I can't. I just feel it's really too difficult. I just need help. And the great thing about this passage is that we don't need to struggle on our own. We grow through God's grace and it's often supplied through other people, other members of the church. We are here to help one another change. We exist for one another. This passage gives us um, two goals as a church. The first of those in the beginning of chapter 4 is all about unity that we looked at last week. And the passage tells us that the reason God gives us different gifts there, in verse 12, look at verse 12, you've got it open, is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity. What sort of unity? Well, it goes on to say, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. There are different degrees of unity. At one level, we are united through our commitment to, uh, to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. But the more we grow in our faith and knowledge of him, the more we will grow in unity with one another. So there is unity. And the other goal here in this passage we're looking at this morning is maturity, which is why it goes on to say, and become mature, end of verse 13, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a great goal, isn't it? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It goes on to say, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. But before we worry about our lack of growth and maturity, we need to remember that whilst Christ is the goal of our growth, we grow up into him, he's also the source of our growth. Look what it says here, from him, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love, from him. He wants us all to grow and attain his fullness. It's not the the maturity of a few individuals, your key guys you put forward, that these are our ambassadors, we can hide behind them. Maturity of everybody. We may grow at different rates, at different times, through different situations, but that doesn't matter. The goal is maturity of all of us. So if our goal is maturity in Christ and the source of our maturity is Christ, well, what is our role in all of this? How do we help each other grow in maturity? And the answer is there in verse 15, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him. Speaking the truth in love. So what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, the first of those points, I think, is to speak the truth in love is reminding each other of Christ's teaching. Reminding each other of Christ's teaching. Before um, Paul introduces the concept of speaking the truth in love, he just describes the, the opposite situation of those who are not mature. How does he describe them? Have a look um, there in verse 14. He describes them as infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, if you've ever been out at sea on a rough day, you'll know just how vulnerable it feels to be like on a boat. Um, 
However large that boat may appear when it's in harbour, when it gets out in the ocean, um, it is pretty tiny. You're being tossed back and forth. Or you're trying to walk uh, in a straight line in a gale. If you're walking on the top of a mountain, you're going trying to go straight and the wind is blowing from one side. It is very difficult to walk in a straight line. And that is the image Paul is giving here when he says, if you're exposed to the world views, the manipulation of people who do not hold to the truth, it is like being buffeted around. And that's particularly true for our, our children and young people. They're exposed to all sorts of views um, on the playground, in the, the classroom, in the media, uh, at home. And through that, they're having to find the truth. It's hard when you're a young person in today's world and we need to pray for our young people consistently. But Paul is saying here it's not just a question of age, it's also about a question of our maturity in the faith. If you're a new Christian, you are vulnerable to false teaching. Unless you establish your roots and grow in your faith, you will remain in that vulnerable situation, being tossed back and forth, blown here and there. And Paul says that this this being blown back and forth is not just another viewpoint being presented, it's actually something that is cunning, that is crafty, that is deceitful. These are strong words that he's using here. When we hear those words, um, we're reminded actually the person who's at work here is the devil. He's the one who is trying to lead us astray. He wants to deceive us. He does that by undermining our faith in God. And he uses various ways to do that. One of those uh, he uses is to make us question whether God is really in control. At a global or a national level, where there's a natural disaster, maybe a terrorist attack, a war, or a personal level, maybe being made redundant, diagnosed with a a serious illness, uh, bereaved. The devil puts doubts into our minds. Where is God? Where is he now? I thought he was meant to be in control. I thought he was meant to be, be loving. And if that is that somebody you know struggling with some of these issues, how do you speak the truth into that situation? Because there will be all sorts of people offering advice. They will get advice, uh, Christians or not. Um, and as Christians, what do we say? Do we say, well, it'll all work out all right. Um, you'll be fine, you'll get over it. Or do we go to the Word of God and look for passages that describe Jesus' authority over sickness and death and the the natural world that show his love and his concern towards those who are suffering in a fallen world. Passages like the ones we looked at yesterday at the morning of prayer which encourage us to trust in God even when we cannot see the way forward because he knows best. The devil makes us question God's control, his love, And we need to speak God's truth into that situation. What the devil also does is undermine our commitment to Christ. Have a look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 11. Just back a few pages in in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 11.1 And this is Paul really speaking from his heart, speaking the truth in love to the church in Corinth. And he's, he's concerned about their devotion to Christ. And uh, this is what he, look what he says, chapter, one, chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. 
I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is it that takes us away from God? Isn't it that we're seduced by the attractions of the world? Yes, I do love Jesus, but, you know, there are too many more important things um, that I need to take care of first. You know, I know I shouldn't spend so much time in the office, but, you know, I just don't have a choice. I'd love to worship with you or pray with you or read the Bible with you, but life's just too busy. You know, there are more important things, urgent things to do. How do you speak the truth in that situation? Maybe you go to a passage like Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman, somebody who's had five husbands, who's looking for fulfilment. She's now with a man who isn't her husband. She's been looking for meaning in, in sex, in marriage, in intimacy. And there may have been a pleasure there for a while, but it hasn't lasted. It's left her thirsty. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's saying, don't waste your life on things that are temporary, but store up treasures in heaven. Speaking the truth in love means reminding each other of Christ's teaching. There is, of course, a big provider in all of this. It's very easy, I think, uh, in a concern for the truth, a concern for, for commitment and holiness and trust, all good things, to be done in a, some sort of a legalistic, judgmental or uncaring way. Which brings us on to the next point, which uh, is that speaking the truth in love means having a genuine concern for one another. Now, the two extremes are the Christians who are, are so determined to uphold and defend the truth at all costs that they almost uh, enjoy sniffing out a heresy and pointing it out without any sensitivity or concern. And at the other end, there are those who are so desperate to maintain harmony and avoid conflicts, that they're prepared to sacrifice basic truth in the process. But as John Stott wrote, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. Let's read that again. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by by truth. We need to keep truth and love together and it's the Spirit who enables us to do that. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. So the Spirit brings together truth and love. And love is one of the key things throughout this letter to the Ephesians. Have a look back at um, chapter 2, verse 4. It starts with God's love for us in one of the most important verses of this letter. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 2. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
then Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 17. Have a look at over, over the page. What does he pray for them? He prays us that, um, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And as a result of knowing this love, he urges them then in verse 2 of chapter 4 to love one another. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And it's that attitude of humility and of love that is essential in speaking the truth in love. And we have first to examine our own hearts before we're able to speak the truth to others. Why are we speaking the truth? Is it out of some sort of pride to be right or a concern for the other person? Speaking the truth is not about pointing out people's mistakes and making them feel bad. It's pointing them back the gospel of grace, reminding them of God's love for them despite any failings, reminding them of their identity in Christ, the promise of forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, great riches that are found in Christ. We need to hear the gospel again and again, which is why we take the Lord's Supper as Christ reminds us, do this in remembrance of me, remember what I've done for you so that you're not distracted. Speaking the truth and in love means reminding each other of Christ. Teaching it means having a genuine concern for one another. And finally, speaking the truth in love means each part of the body doing its work. Verse 16 of chapter 4 is a great little verse here. It's very appropriate today as we receive Kim and Amy Moforth into membership in a short while. Just uh, have a look at it. Verse 16, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Now, yes, there'll be some who are called to be ministers of the word, or those um, he talked about earlier on. Some who gave to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But we all have a part to play in the building up of the church. I'm constantly amazed by how the human body works, Unfortunately, it's usually when it's not working that you find out how it should work. When you go to Wikipedia and become some sort of medical expert in the, in the human body. Ligaments, as um, many of you who've had sporting injuries will know, is a tissue that connects bone to bone. And it's amazing how it can do that. It provides a very strong bond. And it's a type of bond that that should exist between members of the church, a bond that should not be able to be torn um, or ripped. We are bound together and each part does its work. And what that means is there will be times when we speak the truth, there will be times when somebody speaks the truth to us. And we have to be ready to do both. As a a new Christian, a young Christian, you'll probably be receiving more than you're giving. As a mature Christian, you'll probably be speaking more than you're receiving, but we will never be so mature that we cannot receive the truth from somebody else in love. But you may ask, why do I need somebody else to speak the truth to me? Surely I can just open up the word and pray that God will open it up to me. And yes, he does do that, clearly he does. But he also uses other people. 
we all have our, our blind spots. They may be caused by our own experience and personality and background. The way we look at things is all filtered through, through our backgrounds. And it's very easy to convince ourselves that the way we look at things is right. And sometimes it takes a, a brother or sister in Christ to help us see things from a different perspective. But in the case when we're going through a crisis and our emotions are just all over the place, we can't uh, think clearly. We need somebody to, to help us. So if it is such a helpful thing then, an important thing, why do we often find it difficult to, to do it? What is it makes it difficult to speak the truth or difficult to receive the truth? Well, I think in terms of speaking it, it may be that we just feel unworthy. You know, who are we to speak the truth to others? Uh, in many ways, it's a good thing that we feel like that. It's a sign of humility. Remember the way that Paul talked about speaking to the Corinthians. He said, forgive me for my, my foolishness here. But remember, it's not our words that we're using. We're not trying to get across our point of view. We're pointing somebody back to Christ, to his truth. It's not about us. Or maybe we don't really know what to say. We don't know where in the Bible we should turn. And in some ways that should be an encouragement to us to, to know our Bibles better. Or maybe in the course of your quiet time when you're praying that uh, God would speak to you, maybe ask him also to use that passage to, to make you aware of somebody else who is in need of help. Maybe the verse there God is giving you that you can pass on to somebody else which may be helpful for them. We may not feel comfortable about speaking the truth because we, we feel we just don't know somebody well enough. Um, and there has to be that relationship, doesn't there? And that should be, hopefully, an encouragement, again, to get to know people at a deeper level. And as we do speak the truth, as we open up and are honest with one another, we do get to know people at a, a deeper level. Well, it may be that um, we're just afraid of the reaction. Will it be taken the right way? We don't want to offend and therefore we just would rather remain quiet. But this comes back to the question, isn't it, of whether you can be truly loving if you're not ready to speak the truth. Because if we love people, if we want God's best for them, how do we stand idly by as they head off blindly down a road that is taking them away from God? Now, how can we let them deceive themselves with excuses? How can we let them suffer more through their ungodly response to the suffering they're going through? Paul Tripp um, writes this, he says, the truth is we fail to confront, not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves too much. It's the same with talking to others about Jesus, isn't it? We're often afraid of what others might think and we're not ready to go down a route which will involve pain um, for us before it involves gain for the other person. But I think this is a two-way thing, isn't it? The reason we are afraid of speaking the truth um, is because we're afraid of the reaction. But how do we respond when we receive the truth from somebody else? Often we're not good at being told the truth, are we? It's words of of comfort and encouragement, that is, that's great. You know, we're happy to, to receive those. But what if it's words of challenge or, or rebuke? Because our natural human instinct is defensive, isn't it? What, you know, sort of what gives you a right to, to tell me what to do? You know, I could point to a lot of things in your life that are not right. 
And it can be done tactlessly or bluntly. And uh, as pastors, we're used to receiving words of advice. And some of that is done well, and some not so well. Likewise, we have to speak the truth in love, and some of that we do well, some of that we don't do quite so well, and we're sorry when we get it wrong. But the key to receiving the truth well is the attitude with which we receive it, because however badly or tactlessly someone may speak the truth in love, if the the intention is right, if there's an element of truth in what they're saying, then it can only be for our benefit, and we should thank them for it. Well, as we come to to the end, before we come to to the Lord's table, our goal as a church is Christian maturity. And we should be thankful that we don't have to seek maturity on our own. We do have people around us who who care for us. We are a caring, we are a loving church. And let us show that care through our concern for their well-being uh, as we point them to Christ, to his teaching as we remind each other of what Christ has done for us. Let's remember what we are all aiming towards. We all want to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What a great aim that is, isn't it? We're going to come around the Lord's table. Let's just take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves for that. And then we'll sing a hymn which is appropriate for it. Moments of quiet, just prepare ourselves. Lord, we thank you that your goal for us is to grow up in Christ, to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we pray that our love for one another would prompt us to, to do that, to look out for each other, to have the concerns of one another on our hearts, and not just the concerns of ourselves and our lives. Help us to look broader, help us to look at each one, of the body of Christ. Thank you that we are held together and we pray that we grow and build up in love as each one of us does its work. We thank you that we do that in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.